It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the On the Pony Express podcast. I am Billy Embody. Thanks for joining me. It is Friday. Happy weekend. Hope you guys are going to enjoy the PGA Championship. I know I'm going to squeeze a little bit of that in, as well as the stars playing in the Western Conference Finals uh, around my anniversary. First anniversary for my wife, Michelle, and I. So excited to celebrate that this weekend. Likely means SMU is going to get some news during that time. Uh, So I do know uh, she'll understand. Um, But all seriousness aside, we have a lot to talk about on the podcast today. We're going to lead off with Pac-12 talk and also just conference realignment in general because since we last spoke, the ACC is looking like a league that is very much not unified. We talked about the Pac-12 being pretty unified in their approach to the media rights deal and what's next for the league. But the ACC with their meetings uh, in Amelia Island uh, this week, uh, fireworks happening in the Sunshine State uh, around seven schools that are most certainly not happy with the direction of the league right now. We also see ESPN looking at uh, streaming being the way of the future. Um, for those who have seen Aviator, the way of the future, the way of the future, the way of the future. Well, ESPN did say they are looking to go what would I say, what I would say is all in on streaming. So just really months after people wondering uh, if the Pac-12 was jumping the the shark, so to speak, as far as um, going down the path of streaming, we see the worldwide leader in sports uh, going down uh, that path right now, um, which is kind of a side note to what we're going to talk about, though. Uh, the ACC has seven schools that are most certainly not happy with where things stand right now with the league. And how can you blame them? They're locked up in a grant of rights agreement through 2020, uh, 2036, um, even late 2020, even the late 2020s would be uh, somewhat tough for them. But 2036, uh, that grant of rights expires. um, And you have a group uh, of half the league right now Um, Clemson, Florida State, Miami, North Carolina, NC State, Virginia, and Virginia Tech trying their best to find a way out of this grant of rights agreement. Whether that means they leave the league or explore a better deal for the league uh, is something that certainly, um, you know, we'd have to see all of that unfold if they could find a way out of the grant of rights. Boston College, Duke, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Pittsburgh, Syracuse, and Wake Forest among those schools that are not looking to necessarily rock the boat as much as those seven are with their wandering eye. Uh, Our friend Ross Dellinger and Pat Forty over at uh, Sports Illustrated kind of reporting a lot on this since then, The Athletic, multiple others uh, covering the dealings of conference realignment, taking a deep dive into the ACC and what their future is. And look, um, on Friday, uh, distributions for those leagues and uh, leagues around the country have been announced. Uh, The PAC 12, uh, mind you, finishing up uh, last when the all the dividing among schools has been done. Um, and they, they came in at $31 million a school. But then you look up and uh, you see uh, the Big Ten and the SEC leading the way with $58 million, with the Big Ten 
SEC with 49.9 million. Both of those numbers are going to skyrocket in the coming years. The Big 12, third, $44 million. ACC, uh, between uh, 38 and 41-ish million dollars. Uh, I, I just think right now you're looking at a league with the ACC that is hemmed in with this uh, this entire grant of rights agreement. And that's a huge issue because these other leagues are getting deals done. If you look at the Big Ten and the SEC, huge deals, monster contracts that are um, being thrown around now with those two leagues. Um, you know, those are really the power two, in my opinion. It's not even a power five anymore. Um, and then you have the Big 12 who's, you know, beginning their new agreement. And then you have the Pac-12 trying to iron out their details. Well, the ACC is stuck right now. And I would call it a relatively ironclad grant of rights. I mean, lawyers have been looking at this for months. And here's my take on the ACC. This isn't necessarily new that you have schools that are upset with where the ACC stands as they're getting passed up in revenue from their television contracts and what they're raking in year by year from the conference. Florida State has tried to rock the boat. Clemson has been a school that's been rumored to certainly be looking around and trying to find a way out. But you, you're going to have to forfeit your media rights revenue for years um, to make that happen, which is you know millions and millions and millions of dollars on top of paying an exit fee. It is, is it economically smart to do that? Uh, unless you're... Clemson or Florida State, and you're going to maybe the SEC, it's hard for me to say that would be economically smart right now. Um, that's just so much money you're leaving on the table uh, and you're you're raising your profile year, year by year, playing in a better conference potentially, but you are uh, sacrificing so much money and I just don't think it can happen. So with that being said, you've got to find a way out of this grant of rights. The way to do that is to get eight schools to vote to dissolve the grant of rights. Now, what would that mean when a next round of negotiations comes through with these television providers as well as the schools? Will schools leave? Will they sign back on? And that is a tough question for these schools in the future of the ACC. And the reason why you're probably not going to see, at least from my gut, you're not going to see an eight school agree to to dissolve this grant of rights. It is risky. And there's so much unknown. We're seeing that with the Pac-12. Pac-12 is going down kind of a completely different path as far as what they uh, looks like they're going to do as far as a media rights deal when it comes to streaming, when it comes to the providers that are in the mix there. For the ACC, they've got the ACC network. They've got ESPN. Those are their big, that's their big, you know, really provider um, when it comes to uh, this league. And so I think they want to find a way to increase uh, cash flow. There's no doubt about that. They're, they're looking at doing an uneven revenue sharing, which would reward on-field performance, which I think is interesting and I think deserves some look by these leagues. You want to reward your schools that are bringing in money but at the same, or that are producing wins. But at the same time, you're going to struggle to see parity in your league if you're going to create this disparity in money in money among the schools that you have in your league. And then you're just going to be a top-heavy league. The haves and the have-nots, that group is only going to separate more. And then you're you're dealing with a league that is that is fractured, that is just in a poor, poor place. So I'm intrigued to see if they could find a way to work that out. I know it's been discussed. 
But look, these closed door meetings with the ACC, Commissioner Jim Phillips has uh, quite the um, task on his hands. He's got schools that are unhappy, that are very much unhappy, and he's got to find a way to produce more revenue to get them back to being, I would say, just content in being in this league. Otherwise, you're looking at uh, plenty of lawyers involved with trying to get out of this grant of rights somehow um, until this grant of rights expires. And if you're ESPN, it's a sweetheart deal. You've got Clemson, you've got Florida State, you've got Miami, you've got North Carolina, which has created buzz. You've got plenty of schools that bring in revenue, both in football. I know college basketball doesn't move the needle, but you have some of the iconic names in college basketball in your league in the ACC for which you're providing the television rights for. So the ACC is at an impasse. And what does that mean for SMU? What does that mean for the Pac-12? I don't know if it, as it stands right now, if it impacts anything right now with media rights with the Pac-12 or realignment. The question would be if the ACC did explode and either dissolve the grant of rights and find a way to do a new deal, what would that do? Would schools jump ship? Would conferences poach those schools? Um, that is a that is a key question here. And when you look at the Big Ten, would they try to take a stab at a Clemson or Florida State or a, a Clemson in North Carolina or however the combo works? Would the SEC take Clemson and Florida State after adding Texas and Oklahoma? The SEC is so competitive on paper, especially when it comes to the schools that are in it already. Would the league agree that, hey, you know what? Let's bring in Florida, Florida State and Clemson. I mean, their scheduling debate in the SEC is pretty vicious already as it is. Imagine adding two more schools. Um, you're just looking at a very, very interesting um, exercise on that one to see how it would work overall. If the grant of rights was dissolved, look, I've told you guys this before on the podcast. I'll say it again. SMU remains in talks with the Big 12, Pac-12, and the ACC. There's an open line of communication between SMU and the schools, uh, or I should say, well, schools, but also the leagues uh, when it comes to their position. I don't necessarily think that right now, if a grant of rights was dissolved, that expansion would be on their mind. I think trying to pull in more revenue and agreeing to a new television deal would be number one, first and foremost. But would that mean they need to add, let's say, another time zone? When you look at um, the ACC and just kind of glancing at it, I don't think it goes into the central time zone. I could be wrong on that. I get, I, I don't think so, though. Would going into the central time zone be something that they would want to do? Would that be fruitful enough for them to make a run at an SMU or make a run um, at another school? to try and make that happen. I think that's too early to say um, that, that that would be their play. I still think they want to find a way to get more revenue. And I don't know if expansion is the way that they really want to do that. They have 14 schools. They have iconic names. Um, they're just in a position where they thought they were getting this sweetheart deal for them to lock it in for so long. But in reality, you saw the Big Ten and the SEC flex their muscles with what they're putting together in their new deals and have put together in their new deals. And now you're looking at a league that sees a huge disparity between what the top schools in the, in that power two, so to speak, are getting versus what they're getting. And a large part of this is centered around 
being able to compete year in, year out for national championships. When you have schools that are getting more and more money, like in the Big Ten and the SEC, how does your conference uh, address that? How do how are they able to spend to to spend on that level on facilities, to spend on that level on coaching staffs and support staff and all the things that make the schools that compete for national championships year in, year out, the schools that do that. Clemson has been really the only one that has been able to show that at a high level, and even they fell off last year. So it is going to be very interesting to see what happens with the ACC. As far as the Pac-12 goes, I think you got to look at that that news that ESPN is is pursuing heavily the streaming route as being a huge positive for negotiations with their media rights deal. Um, we've seen some of their leadership uh, talk this week as well. Um, Washington State's president uh, saying that he could see a deal happening in the next month or so. Again, uh, here we go again, setting timelines. But um, we've also seen others point towards more of a back half of summer invitation, which you know, when you look at the July 1st deadline for San Diego State to announce that they're leaving uh, their conference and their exit fee, that would make it go double, triple. I've seen double and triple thrown around. Um, and if that's the case, it doesn't impact the decision for either SMU or San Diego State, regardless of both schools would have to pay more. This is an investment. You're investing in this future and getting to the Power Five level. There's no question that paying more would be the smart move. You get to the power five, you get to that club. Um, I know it's kind of a power two mid three right now, but that is the game plan. That's what you've got to do if you're SMU or San Diego State. So I think if you're still looking at summer, as far as the league goes, that's a positive. That's where you want to be um, in terms of getting this done. You want to be mid, early, mid June. I think that's probably what would be the sweet spot. And then you can get it done. You can get it signed. And then you can go from there and and expand. So when it comes to realignment, uh, it's status quo for SMU and San Diego State from what it seems to me. But if you're the Pac-12, you've got to like the, the development of ESPN heavily pursuing that idea of streaming being the way of the future. For SMU, you've got to sit back and say, you've done all you can. The waiting game continues. And I, I think they're just they just remain in a good spot. And, you know, I think when you look at the ACC, we've seen their issues boil over for the Pac-12. They sat they sit at thirty one ish million dollars coming in this year. They know they're probably going to be somewhere in that ballpark again for the ACC. They're looking at their worry is we've got another 13 years on this deal locked in around, I think I said, what, 38 to $41 million coming in a year. I mean, Pac-12 signs a five-year deal. I think the Big 12 signs six. I could be wrong on that. Both of those leagues, by the time 2036 rolls around, could have done two more media rights deals by the time the ACC negotiates their next. And that is a huge problem for the ACC. When you look at stability, it is not in a good spot right now. Will they get that eight school to dissolve the grant of rights? I I don't know. I don't know. I, I sit here a little skeptical. You have a bottom half of that league in football that probably doesn't want to toy with the idea of letting Clemson and Florida State hit the open market. And, and that goes for other schools in that wandering seven. They don't want to sit there and see them 
go to the open market and maybe leave them in a remnants league. Now, I will say for SMU, if you saw Clemson and Florida State leave the ACC, that'd leave them with 12. I think that is a prime opportunity for SMU to push for the ACC. But if you're SMU, you take whatever deal you get to get to the Power Five first. Has to happen. No questions asked. Sign it. Get in. Pay the exit fee to the AAC and be done. You cannot play, well, you can't be wishy-washy in this one. That They've got to have conviction in terms of what they're going to do. I think they're at that stage where they have the conviction that they feel like they're going to get a power, uh, Pac-12 invite and they're going to take a Pac-12 invite. We'll see it play out over the course of the next uh, many months on the AAC, on the ACC front and in the Pac-12. You want to see this thing wrapped up in the next sitting here mid-May now. You want to see a media rights deal if your SMU probably happen by the end of June. So then you can also do your July 1st notice of uh, exit from the AAC and start that path towards the Pac-12. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Moving on uh, to recruiting. I mentioned earlier this week, lots happening on the recruiting front for SMU. And the Mustangs continue to set some official visitors. Um, We posted on the message board uh, that Tyler Aronson, the quarterback commitment for SMU, has set his official visit. Uh, he's coming the third weekend in June, that uh, that June 15th weekend, 15th, 16th weekend. That's when your quarterback of the future is going to be on campus for SMU with his family. Um, he came in um, uh, March for that week-long visit. Uh, he just wrapped up spring ball recently at Vero Beach. He's going into his second season there, looking to take another big jump in produ- production. I'm, I'm really high on what Tyler Aronson could be this year. I think going into a System for a second straight year is important. Um, He had a good, solid season. He got hurt at the end, hurt his thumb. Um, But I think looking at his senior season, you want to see him take that next step, prove some completion percentage, cut down on interceptions, which, I mean, any quarterback wants to do, and continue to play at a high level, which he's done for much of his high school career. When it comes to the rest of this recruiting class, I do feel SMU's building momentum. But I want to touch on first some new offers that went out from SMU. So we're going to uh, kind of dive into those guys and run them down for you guys. There's been plenty that have been dished out over the course of the last week. Um, and I want to lead off with a four-star prospect uh, in the state of Texas, Freddie DeBose from from uh, Smithson, Smithson Valley. Um, he's a six-foot, 170-pound wide receiver. He tore his ACL, missed his junior se- season. Pretty sure he missed all of his junior season. I could be wrong on that. Um, but I did see him work out at Under Armour Dallas. He looked the part. He looked like he was getting back to his old explosive self. He's a guy that sits in the top 200 overall prospects on on three, top 30 wide receiver nationally. Texas leads the on three recruiting prediction machine. Um, Look, he's got a Texas official visit lined up. Uh, That is going to be the big threat when it comes to landing him. Um, But SMU, I think, has been particular when it comes to offering these guys and seeing which ones maybe they have a shot at. We've seen them dish out kind of multiple 2024 four-star offers 
uh, or even uh, with the last guy, we'll talk about a guy who's committed elsewhere and among the best players in the country. Freddie DeBose is the latest. The receiver position for SMU in 2024, when I look at it, I think it's the position with the biggest questions as far as who are they going to land? And I don't, I don't sit here and think that they necessarily need to land someone. You have the future pretty well stocked uh, at that position. You have Jackson Lavender. You have uh, Jamari and Carroll. You have Randy Reese coming in. You have some playmakers. You have some younger receivers still on the roster. And Jordan Hudson, maybe, on the way soon. Uh, the former five-star receiver transferring from TCU. So if that's the case, you shoot for the stars. And they, you look at the offer list for SMU's receiver group in 2024, there's a lot of highly touted guys up there. You know, they've got Micah Hudson offered. They've got this guy offered, that guy offered, that are all elite prospects uh, and kind of no-brainers. They also have some guys that are local, a little bit, you know, under the radar as far as the offer list goes. But that is a position that I'm going to try to dive down a little deeper for our On the Pony Express subscribers and see what's kind of the plan there. Because that is a group that, SMU is pulled, kind of track it, right? SMU has pulled a really productive quality receiver in just about every recruiting class. Even Dylan Goffney, who just transferred, he was really productive at uh, Cypress Bridge, Ridgeland. Obviously, they got Jamari and Carroll, a guy we love at On3. We ranked him a four-star coming out of uh, Wichita Falls area at Hershey. I mean, Hershey, um, this, is a, this is a receiver position that SMU has always recruited well. Um, and, and I feel like when you look at it long term, you want to continue to try and build it pipeline wise from the high school ranks. SMU, <clears throat> SMU has produced plenty of NFL wide receivers. This is a position that they should be re uh, recruiting very, very well uh, when it comes to um, the high school ranks. And I think that Jackson Lavender has been a terrific surprise, not necessarily a surprise, but you know, smaller stature, slot guy, but he was terrific in the spring. You know, he's got the 100-meter time to back up his speed. He made plenty of plays. Randy Reese coming off that ACL, probably going to be a redshirt guy. Um, and then you have Jamarian Carroll, who's just, I mean, just seems like a physical specimen. He seems like he's got next. So, Freddie DeBose earns an offer to kick off this week. He's somebody that um, is going to be really interesting to see if SMU can get an official visit and get in the mix there. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. We move on to the offensive line position. And yeah, that's right. If you're watching on our YouTube channel as the profile pops up, 6'8", 255-pound Hayden Gunter. We'll have his full reaction to the offer um, maybe Saturday morning, maybe Friday night. Um, uh, just a matter of when I get done with some other things that I've got to do. Wink, wink for our subscribers. Um, but... Uh, he has plenty of offers right now. He's got four official visits lined up this summer. Stanford, Vanderbilt, TCU, and Duke in that order every weekend in June. SMU is going to try a push for an official visit now. I will say, talking with Hayden Gunter, he's pretty high on the offer early on. Um, you know, you love his frame, 6'8", 255. We've got him as a high three-star right now, a top 40 offensive tackle nationally, top 100, 
top 100 prospect in Texas. He's somebody that if you're SMU, is right up the road in Denton. A little late offering him here in 2024 with his official visits lined up, but Garen Justice was at a spring game, offered him after watching him. So they've done their homework on him from an evaluation standpoint, and they're going to try to turn up the heat now and see if they can't get an official visit out of him. Deer Park, Texas defensive lineman. Luke Webb picked up an SMU offer. Uh, another high three-star prospect. Houston does lead the on-three recruiting prediction machine here. Little kind of under-the-radar recruitment-wise, um, but a guy that is now starting to stack up some offers. Um, Calvin Thibodeau was down there to see him and extended the offer. He's got the size that you definitely want to see on the defensive line. We did drop a note on, on the PonyExpress.com. Sterling Brooks, the uh, big, big defensive tackle out of North Crowley, set his official visit. So head over to the site for details on that. But it's 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 really obvious to me that SMU is really looking for size on the defensive line. I think it is imperative as they continue to address that position long-term that they get that. Because we've seen here or there where guys maybe on the shorter end, Terrence Newman, serviceable career. Elijah Chapman, he is so strong and really was trending like an all AAC type guy. Now, you know, he's going to be splitting reps with Jordan Miller, with Devere Levelston, with Elijah Roberts, guys like that. And then you look at that position, you're like, well, he's undersized. And that's something that the staff, I think, is, is really trying to hone in on. And you see in the offers um, that we've talked about, Sterling Brooks was a the guy they offered in the spring. He's about 6'5", 330 is what he's listed. He's a big nose tackle for SMU. Um, they're on guys like Jaden Langley. Uh, they're on um, – one's escaping uh, 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 his name right now, but uh, another guy. They're both 6'4 type of players. Luke Webb, the latest offer, sitting there at 6'4", 260. So I think that's a big emphasis for Calvin Thibodeau as he kind of you know goes about building his defensive line uh, through the high school ranks. Kevin Allen on the shorter end, I will say, uh, I think he checked in um, around 6'3 um, when it comes to kind of what he um, what he checked in at as a prospect coming out of Ever Everman in the 2023 class. But he was also a Landry Award finalist, uh, the only defensive lineman uh, to garner that attention with a bunch of high-level quarterbacks. So his on-field production outweighed it. He checked in at 6'3", 280. A guy that SMU extended an offer to that I think really made an impact with is Jonathan Agumadu out of McKinney. He played last year at Richardson, J.J. Uh, Pierce High School. Uh, he's, a, he's kind of a tweener between defensive end and linebacker, about 6'2", 220. I saw him at SMU spring practice um, when he came through uh, on an unofficial visit. I think he was there like back-to-back -back days or twice in one week. Um, so he has high interest in SMU. I mean, he was raving about the offer. You'll get the full reaction if you're an on the Pony Express subscriber on the site, but, um, he's got an Oklahoma state official visit set for this summer. Um, so the pokes are a school to certainly watch when it comes to him. Um, he could kind of play that edge position. He, he, he kind of come off the edge. Um, but he could, maybe he could drop back in coverage a little bit and be like a big thumper in the middle, a little bit of size playing off the ball. Uh, the thing that stood out to me is just his ability at the point of attack to fend off guys. And this was his junior tape. So um, obviously he's he's gotten a little bigger. I think he's kind of trending towards being a little bit more of an edge uh, prospect uh, in that regard. But 
Um, he is really strong at the point of attack. You know, he takes on offensive linemen. He doesn't really care how big they are. He's going to get up in there and plug the hole. Um, I like his physicality as well. He looks to be a sure tackler. So looking forward to seeing more of him as SMU enters into a battle now with Oklahoma State. But um, I will say that offer really seemed to stand out to him. So we'll continue to track that one. Maurice Crum was active as all get out when it comes to offering linebackers this week. He dipped down into Gulfport, Mississippi to offer Eric Moore Jr., 6'2", 2'10". This is one of two offers where you look at them as probably a little bit like a will linebacker, um, just with their size and and frame. Um, The second one we'll get to in a second, and it's kind of a cool story for me uh, every time it happens. But um, Eric Moore Jr., kind of uh, not necessarily the most recruited guy out of Mississippi, Arkansas State, SMU, Liberty, Georgia Tech in there for him but what stood out to me is really his patience he knows when to hit the holes make tackles i watched his highlight tape for a few minutes i was really impressed with what he brought to the table out there so we'll kind of see smu dipping into other states uh to make some offers at linebacker and it's a position that i would venture to say that for college coaches right now and what they have to prepare defensively when it comes to linebackers it's the hardest position to recruit. You want a true thumper that's physical, that can play and plug holes and do all those things and 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 hit the run fits right. But oh, by the way, you got to be able to run and cover. And then on the flip side of that, you got guys who can run and cover who maybe are, you know, like an Eric Moore, 6'10", 6'2", guy, or even uh, the next guy, even, even um, on the thinner side. Um, but they can run and they can cover and do all those things, but then they get blown up in the run game. So... You've got to have guys that can play in different packages. I do think that's what I it's kind of what I like about SMU's linebacker group going into this season as an aside. You've got Ahmad Walker's on the shorter side. Without a doubt, he's pretty physical, but he's not the biggest guy in the world. They had Kobe Wilson, who looks like he's got some thickness to him. He doesn't have the height, but he's got thickness to him. You've got Alex Kilgore, who is going to just be a massive linebacker who can run, I will say, long term once Sean Griswold is done with him. Jaquandis Burns is a big dude. Jaquandis, you know, if he really wanted to, probably could come off the edge a little bit. Um, Cam Farrar, kind of the shorter, smaller type that you would want to be able to run in coverage a little bit more. Um, and then Chris Adamora, who is a long, rangy guy. I mean, you just have to have so many different body types at the linebacker position. So you've got to go national to kind of uh, address those positions. Speaking of national, my hometown, but not only my hometown, my high school, Carrollwood Day, which is uh, producing a ton of Division One talent. Nick Saban, Kirby Smart were, was through there uh, during January to see some of the guys there recruiting. Dabo Sweeney has a commit out of uh, Carrollwood Day now. Um, very different from back in my time playing there. I should have put my old high school jersey up behind me. But nevertheless, Taylor Dudley, 2024 linebacker, 6'1", 206, picks up an offer from SMU. He's starting to kind of churn a little bit more on the recruiting front. Duke, Wake Forest. Uh, some of the programs that have entered the mix. Um, I really like his speed and turned on the tape. And it's one of those situations where now Carrollwood Day, back when I played, it was we were playing uh, schools like um, religious schools with like five different names and really just small schools um, and, and things like that. Now they've they've elevated. They're playing you know some of the top top um, private schools in the state of Florida that are bigger schools. You know now Carrollwood Day is like 100 kids a class and things like that, um, which isn't you know, major, major high school size, but it's not playing Sisters of the Poor anymore, um, so to speak. But 
uh, Taylor Dudley flashed on tape with his speed, really shot gaps well. Um, so I, I like this offer. Um, SMU, I will say one of the things when it comes to how they're recruiting right now, I don't necessarily love leaving the state of Texas, but I think if they're going to leave the state of Texas, I maintain that you can recruit Oklahoma, you can recruit Louisiana, you can recruit Arkansas a little bit. Rhett, Rhett Lashley has ties there. Some of the guys do too. But then you, I think you should be recruiting feeder schools or feeder states. You got to be able to recruit um, uh, Florida and California. Those are your two biggest um, prospect, uh, like uh, feeder states for the school itself. So if that's the uh, uh, if that's the case, then you should be leveraging that to bring in high school talent. For example, Carolwood Day. Now, I mean, I was the first full graduating class, a freshman to senior. And I was the first kid to go to SMU, obviously. But now we've had multiple multiple people go to SMU just in the few years that the high schools, well, now it's been over a decade, but just in that decade long of people coming through the high school, which I think is is really, you know, where you got to kind of tap in. You want to tap into your admissions department. If your admissions department is going to the school, you can, they, they do the whole song dance, get the presentation ready and things like that. Well, you can leverage all that when SMU is spending money and saying, all right, we're going to go out and we're going out to modern day in California and we're going out to Centennial or whatever schools. And, you know, they go to the Bulls school in Jacksonville and Florida and St. Thomas Aquinas in Fort Lauderdale and some of these other, you know, quite frankly, high profile high schools that do have athletic talent too. leverage that. It's a hard thing to do. It's not the easiest thing. There's NCAA rules. There's whatever, but and I'm not sure on them. But that's where if you're going to recruit Florida and you're going to recruit California, do it where you have help. So like this offer a lot. Um, I am biased, but uh, I was really pleasantly surprised when I turned on the tape and just saw his speed overall. Finally, last new offer of the week. Uh, SMU offered uh, Altair, Texas, Rice Consolidated Safety and Nebraska commit uh, Roger Gradney. Uh, he's a four-star prospect on the on three industry ranking a top 25 safety. He's just inside the on 300. Uh, as you can see, 24 seven has him knocking on the door of being a top 10 safety. Uh, he committed to uh, the corn Huskers back in February. I think he's a guy that um, 6'1, 190 um, Texas A&M and Houston were uh, showing heavy interest, but Nebraska went ahead and made the offer to him. Uh, and he committed back in February um, and look, Matt Rule spent time in the state of Texas, spent a lot of time obviously getting to know these coaches, and he jumped on this prospect um, that is one of those guys that, you know, sitting there as a 3A school, maybe flew under the radar a little bit. A lot of colleges from out of state, especially, they're going 4A, 5A, 6A, all of that. But this is a school with 35 players on the on varsity. It's kind of how it was when I was in high school. But you've got a guy who can really do it all. And I think that's where they used him in the return game. Um, they used him in the secondary, obviously. They played him at wide receiver. They bring him off the edge. He played outside linebacker. I mean, this is a guy that plays all over the place. And I think that goes back to kind of a larger piece of defensive recruiting these days. You have to have all these different body types for uh, packages, sub packages, all those things when you match up. So 
I like this offer a lot. Um, Scott Simons went down there and offered him and, and, you know, made the move and look, SMU is going to not give up here. This is a guy that now you can, uh, circle as a new name to watch for SMU and, and, and go from there. Um, lastly, a local prospect, uh, that, uh, as we're on the podcast right now, just inform me, uh, he is locked in an SMU official visit. Um, and that is four-star Duncanville defensive back to Davian Dotson Walker, LSU, Texas, SMU, and um, Oklahoma State are the schools that are really battling it out for him. Um, and this is a player that uh, I, I, I think, look, we talked about Zeno Umeozulu Ume out of Allen being kind of a dark horse guy for SMU. I kind of think Kadavian Dotson Walker is trending in that direction too. Interested to see how LSU plays this one. They're trending for another four-star safety right now. Um, They could turn up the heat. They were in uh, Duncanville seeing him. Texas has long been in the mix for him, but now he's going to take uh, right now Oklahoma State and SMU official visits in June. And you can circle him and say, look, Oklahoma State is kind of a, a thorn in SMU's side in a way. Like if you're looking at the schools SMU's recruiting at, I think this cycle for the most part, I'd probably say Oklahoma State, Baylor, Texas Tech, which is definitely a thorn in SMU's side. TCU here and there uh, on some prospects, um, including Kadavian Dotson Walker. But SMU has done a really nice job recruiting Kadavian Dotson Walker. And I, I just feel like when you look at Duncanville and how SMU is handling that relationship, I think they're doing a really nice job. And that is not lost on Kadavian. Um, he's a guy that has been on SMU's campus multiple times over the course of the last couple of years. Um, he's probably, I, I would almost venture to say he's visited SMU as many times as any other school or the more times than any other school um, over the course of his recruitment. And I I think that's a good thing. Um, Obviously it shows genuine interest when you're recruiting a guy at this level, like a Kadavian Dotson Walker, you've got to be able to sit there and kind of sift through things. Is he being genuine? Will he lock in an official visit with us? Will he not? Why? And now for him to lock in an official visit, I think you've got to circle him as a, uh, certainly a dark horse player for SMU to land in this 2024 recruiting class. So, um, look, there's plenty of official visitors that are locked in. Uh, first weekend in June, SMU is going to have their mega camp, so it doesn't look like they're hosting guys. Um, but that that third weekend in June, that June 16th official visit weekend, is really shaping up to be what could be a make-or-break type weekend for SMU in this 2024 class. So uh, I think they're starting to gain a little bit of momentum. They've got some key targets lined up. They've made some new offers that they feel like they can maybe make some headway with. They're sitting in a good spot for the 2024 recruiting class. So I'm intrigued to see how it goes down this summer. We will be with you every step of the way at ontheponyexpress.com. Just $30 for six months. If you're a listener to the YouTube channel, just throw $30 at On the Pony Express for this summer. Last year, plenty of commitments rolled in in June. I think this year, the way they're kind of lining it up, it looks like it might be late June, early July. That's when a lot of prospects around the country are making their uh, decisions and announcing them. I think SMU is on that track 
I think they're going to start reeling in some commitments over the course of that period of time. They are building momentum. I think the Pac-12 buzz is certainly there. Um, all these kids are getting to see the $100 million end zone facility that continues to go up. What an, uh, just impressive to see how much they've done in such little time. Um, and if that's the case, you just keep swinging away at um, these high-profile prospects like they've done through the years, and then you trust your evals and you go from there. I, I think SMU is starting to trend uh, a little bit more than we think for, for some, some prospects out there. So we're going to do a deep dive on the recruiting class next week, kind of go position by position to give you guys the latest on, on some of the top prospects, also maybe who SMU is trending for. So to get that true insider knowledge uh, to brag about to all your friends, subscribe to ontheponyexpress.com, just $30 for six months. So hope you guys enjoy this weekend. We will be back next weekend, I'm sh or next week, I should say. I'm sure we're going to have a lot to talk about. Um, there is an official visitor on SMU's campus, so if you want to know who, again, subscribe to ontheponyexpress.com. Appreciate all you guys who have subscribed to the YouTube channel as well. Thank you guys. Appreciate all your support, and uh, have a great weekend. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to this edition of the On the Pony Express podcast.